Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. No, yeah, no, I'm sick and freaking tired of this heat. It doesn't, this is the one thing I hate about early deer season in florida is that it's it doesn't it doesn't feel like deer season you just i almost feel like you punish yourself just so you can deer hunt yeah. you got yeah. there you try to sit in the tree and you just sit there and pour sweat yeah yeah it's Dude, brutal I don't, I don't know how like i've been going out and scouting a few places and i have to get absolutely covered in permethrin to keep the ticks off of me i'll go out scouting with my buddy bryce we get halfway through the day and Buddy's walking around with no shirt on, shorts, <laughs> just wandering around. He don't, I don't ever hear nothing about getting him getting ticks on him. I'm like, dude, how do you, how do you do it? He, like, well, I'm he, kind of the same as him. I can be walking through the woods with three or four other buddies, and they're covered in ticks, and they're like, you got, you got to have them somewhere. You might find one or something nah. like that. And I went out scouting without it one day, and I had a long sleeve shirt, pants on. And my old lady had to pick like 200 seed ticks off me. Oof. Mm. No, thank you. I hate those. And she chiggers, was looking in places that no woman wants to have to look. We, now, we, the chiggers, yeah. That that seems <laughs> like it never fails. I, I end up with chiggers here regardless. I got into chiggers so bad last year that I put so much Benadryl cream on. My outside of my body, it made me drowsy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I was putting that on like a, a lotion. Whole, a whole <laughs> tube on. <laughs> oh, man, it was bad. <laughs> He went to Costco and bought it in bulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I usually tend to get them uh, all the time on my feet. Your feet and upper legs where the snake boots and the socks and everything's yeah. hitting where it's tight, man, is it's terrible. I had them all over my stomach, all over my back, all over my thighs. Like, I don't know where I, I guess I just stepped into a straight infestation of the dang right, thing right, somewhere. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, he... Brutal. <laughs> We go out to set this camera, and he's like, hey, let's go pull in here. He's like, I know there's a creek that runs through this section. We should wander back to that creek, try to find some dry area. So we wander back to the creek, and we end up wandering through this creek in, like, waist-deep water. Like, way down this creek to get this spot. We find a good spot, set the camera, everything. We get out. Both of us are soaking wet. We get back to the truck, and uh, we get to driving down the road. And I look at Onyx, and I'm like, dude, we were like, 
200 yards from a road. <laughs> just on the other side of the creek. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, hey, we could have just driven down that road. I said, I know how I'm going back to get that camera. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done that before, too. <laughs> you get too lost, like caught up in walking through the woods. Exactly, yeah. Man, I've done. I mean, I've done that. I've got myself so lost. This is back before, like the time of before Onyx was real was a real big thing, right? Like that was back when uh, the majority of Onyx was still like buy a chip and put it in your GPS. Right. And I had a GPS, but even even to still today, you go buy like a Garmin GPS, they're pretty much worthless unless you drop pins on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you can't. You're not looking at a map layer. Which, well, so I take that back. You can actually go online. If you download the uh, bird's eye hot tip, not no. well, there, no, there's a bird's eye you have to pay for. There are there's free maps, uh, topographical maps put out by the state of Florida. Okay, that out that uh, outline all public land areas. And okay, and then see bird's eye though <clears throat> with the Alpha two hundred mm-hmm. that come out, and I'm sure the newer regular GPSs is not for dog tracking, but it's actually free. On the 200, the bird's eye. Is. Oh, is it? And they're Wi-Fi capable. Nice. <clears throat> so, yeah, as long as you got a hotspot, I mean, I could download the map right there down the road before I would go to a track and through hotspot on, on my phone and have that area there. How about that one? Is yeah. that one Wi-Fi capable? I don't know, uh, but I was going to tell you. Yep, it said, and bird's eye satellite imagery. Perfect. Yeah. See, so, so right all here. you got to do is invite your friends to on the pressure out donation page, and you got a chance when we reach 2,000 people, we're going to give away that Garmin GPS map. Was that 64ST? Yep. Brand new in box, never been opened. So, and then you can have your own little GPS. Yep. But anyway, this was back before that. It, that's what I was using, like a Rhino GPS, the, the Garmin Rhinos with the walkie-talkie and stuff in it. Where you could play, like, Minesweep on it. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I got to, like, walking <laughs> back with my climber on my back. And I, I was walking to the truck, or I was walking to find another spot to hunt that afternoon. And I perpetually get stuck into in the, uh, what's just over that next hill or around that next bend? And next thing you know, I'm going there, and then I'm following a deer that I bumped, trying to see if I can get a shot on it. And then uh, next thing you know, I'm like, all right, screw this. I'm going back to the truck. And at that point, it's almost like I looked up from looking at the ground, and I went, oh, shit. I have no idea where I am. Right. Pulled the GPS out of my pocket. Couldn't get signal to figure out a dang cardinal direction. Because I knew that my truck was facing east-west, so if I walked to the south, that I was going to run out to the road my truck was on. And uh, I was like, I, I couldn't figure out which direction was which. I was down at the bottom, and it was cloudy outside, so I couldn't see the sun. I was like, you know what? I'm going that way. And I just started walking. Like, eventually, I will walk either back into the field I came from or out onto the road or a, further down on a different road. Um, and I walked out, and I hit a gravel road, and I was like, oh, thank God. So I step out on the road, and I look to my left, nothing. Look to my right, there's my truck about 800 yards away. I was like, oh. <laughs> I walked back to my truck. I said, I'm going home. <laughs> just yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, after hauling that climb around for four hours in the hills in Kentucky, no thank you. I was ready to go to the house. Mm. But, oh, man, that GPS is getting lost in the woods. I forgot where we were going with that earlier. but Yeah, uh, had a similar situation with a buddy of mine this has been 10 years ago and this was an old gps then and he's telling me all the trucks this way and i'm telling him like look man i've been in these woods this section of woods enough times i know 
the highway is not the way you're trying to take us. We're going to be getting lost. He's like, well, that's what the GPS says. So you follow that thing all you want. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go the way I know to go. And, uh, <clears throat> sure enough, we started getting closer. We could hear the highway. He's like, I'm throwing this thing in the garbage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, we kind of briefly touched on the fact that we're giving away that, that Garmin GPS and, a, a much nicer GPS than the one that I had when I got lost. Okay. So I don't think. And one the, that actually works. One so that actually works. Garbage. Yeah. Don't throw in the garbage. Right. Uh, and a um, uh, half dozen tangle free wood duck decoys. So we're sitting about 1800 members. We're almost there. We are over 1800. I couldn't tell you exactly. I'd have to look at it on the computer to pull that number up. But um, once we get to 2000, we'll give that stuff away to a random drawing to all the members and somebody's going to win some free stuff. Each thing will go to a different person. So you have two winners picked out of that. Nice. On top of that, speaking of giving stuff away, um, one thing I don't think we talk about a lot, and I thought about this today, is you know we do have a website. And we have a lot of things on our website, like recipes and um, a lot of wild game recipes and a couple of drink recipes. Here's talk about Jim's Mai Tais. That that recipe's on there, and they are damn good. Um, Dangerous is what they are. But there's also a kayak an inflatable fishing kayak all-star point star it's like a twelve hundred dollar inflatable fishing kayak um that we're giving away for to raise money for the future of hunting in florida and i believe the tickets are 20 25 bucks a piece and we're only selling 50 tickets so and they're dwindling down we've got a few orders for those today so hop on there and get one of those before they're gone we'll do that just like when we gave away the custom rifle back for the crawfish boil a few months ago We'll go live on Facebook, spin the fancy wheel of names, and whoever wins it, you know, roll the dice, get a random number, click it that many times. Whoever lands on it, wins it. Lucky you. We'll either. <laughs> you can either come pick it up if you're local, or we'll ship it to you. <clears throat> so you buy that ticket, and when they're all sold, we'll do the drawing for that. But also, we got our hats and everything else up there. So if you want to get one of these sweet camouflage hats we've gotten. Yeah, I need to get one of our, our picture of our new hats up there. Yeah, just send it to me. I'll get it up there. Just need to I add that new color. Picture of it. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. Yeah, I got a video of them, all of them. I need, I'll put that up on. I'll, I'll I'll put the video up before the end of the week. All right. Do we have any new reviews this week? We do not, unfortunately. <sighs> I know, killing me. They were hot there for a while. They done slowed down. Yeah, it seemed like for two or three weeks we had them, and then nobody nobody wrote one. Yep. You guys can always do like Matt, go on and change your name or steal your kid's iPhone and write another one. We'll read that one too. <laughs> Just don't copy and paste it like Matt did. <laughs> That's personal I phone and he... work phone, what that is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, you guys write us a review. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. If you write one, we'll read it. I ain't scared. Just let us know what we're doing wrong if you're going to call it bad. Was that that we had? That was how we ended up uh, meeting Sid, was Sydney. Sydney Curtis was that yeah, he wrote a us review. a one star review, but it was a very happy one. I mean, it read like a five star review, but it was a one star. And we called him out a few times about it, then figured out who he was. And he's like, "Oh man, I'll change it." So he did change it to a five star yeah. review because he, he accidentally, yeah, yeah, he meant to write a five star review, but clicked one star and then uh, wrote a nice raving review for the podcast <laughs> for a one star. So in the studio with me this week, I've got uh, I got Jordan in here. I'm here. Let's get it. I'm your host, Will, and we've got Jeremy West in here to uh, talk about doing a little uh, tracking deer with dogs. 
Sounds good. I'm going to say real quick before we get that started that I just got home Monday from the Buckarama show selling a bunch of Hasmore seats. So uh, you hear the, the ad at the beginning. And if you haven't bought one already and you hunt out of a climber, or you got a climber, and you're like, ah, I just bought it. It's got a new seat. Go buy a Hasmore seat and use the code that's in the ad. You'll get 15% off, right? I think it's UPO15. Yep. Or, yeah. Use that code. You'll get 15% off. You get the stabilizing straps. You can get all kinds of stuff. You don't just have to get a seat. You get but, the whole uh, tree stand trick out kit. I highly recommend if you buy the seat to also buy the backrest. <clears throat> so the seat's 28 and the backrest is 29. I've memorized all the prices now. Yeah, it costs you like 50 bucks. To $57 for the two of them. I don't know about shipping. If you use the code, it'd probably be pretty much each shipping. I'm sure. So 15%. Yeah. Be, well, maybe not. It does. It'd be like $7. Yeah. If it was 50 bucks. So. so. But it's, regardless, uh, it's they're worth totally the money. worth it, though, man. Anybody who had one at the show that came back for another one was like, that's the most comfortable, best climber seat I've ever sat in in my life. I will never, ever buy anything but that climber seat ever again. No, it's not worth it, dude. And like I said, I've said plenty of times in the past, I I have like the creme de la creme summit seat. Right. That sucker ain't got nothing on that Hasbro seat. seat. And it's so, the, the seat is so simple. It's stupid, but it's so much more comfortable. Well, speaking speaking about blood trailing. Uh, well, you about could have blood trailed me today. I unsuccessfully <laughs> tried to cut my finger off. <laughs> so the uh, the outdoor edge knives with a brand new blade are extremely sharp. Don't go through the bone, but they will go all the way to it. If you catch it in the joint right, you can get into a joint pretty easy. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't because I hit that finger with some force. And I knew <laughs> when I looked down at it, I felt it hit my finger and I said, mm, that's bad. I looked down at my finger and I was like, my first thought was I can super glue that. And then I bent my finger and it just flailed wide open and I could see meat and everything in my finger. And I was like, damn, guess I got to go get stitches. <laughs> How many stitches did you end up getting? Four. That's pretty good for a finger cut. Yeah. Is it? Was it like long ways down your N- side of your finger? No, it's like around. Oh, yeah, that's why I said it went like halfway. It it went all the way to the bone on top and bottom of my finger. So it's your index finger on your left yeah. hand. Yeah, at least it's not your trigger finger. I know. That's why I said it's this is not a very important finger until I went to put a dip in, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh man, that's the finger I take the pinch out of the can with." I'm like, "Son of a gun!" There's nothing worse than figuring out you have a cut on the end of your index finger you didn't know was there until yeah. you go to take a pinch of it. Yeah, stick it in the yeah. <laughs> It's like getting some on your finger and then rubbing your eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that one last week. <clears throat> Oof. I remember one time I was driving my Jeep with no doors and didn't even think about it. Went to take a uh, pinch of dip, open up the lid, and just <laughs> all over the inside of the Jeep. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> yeah, lost a dang near whole can of dip doing that. was a full can too, just all over the place. Oh man. So what what got you into blood trailing or tracking deer with dogs? Um kind of had an old black mouth cur dog. She was older, about six, seven years old. And tend to have some buddies that doesn't make the best shots in the world and yeah. <clears throat> started noticing we were losing too many deer 
kind of started working with her a little bit. Didn't really know what I was doing at the time, of course. Um, started talking to people who did and just kind of became something that started working with her on. I started liking, you know, enjoying it more and more. I've always, I've always liked the fact that, or when it comes to tracking with or without a dog, that was always kind of one of my favorite parts of hunting. Right. You know, someone would, Hey, we shot a deer. We need some help. Um, I'd climb out of the tree stand and go give them a hand, you know? Um, and it just, one thing went from there and, you know, also being, being a hunter who's had to leave a deer in the woods, you don't know the answer to, or, you know, what did, what did, would I do wrong and not having much closure? I mean, there's sometimes we go, people call and they want just some closure or, you know, to verify, you right. know, and just giving them that extra piece of evidence makes them that much, that, that much happier, you know, right. gives them a little bit, a little bit of that closure factor. And, you know, it, it's gotten, gotten to the point now where I spend more time tracking for people than I ever think about sitting in the tree stand. <laughs> and I enjoy every bit of it. I actually had a buddy of mine, uh, tagged along on a couple tracks this past year and, <clears throat> anymore he's like yeah if you ever need me to ride with you you know let me know he said i had fun um and i ended up getting a younger dog my dog shadow that some of the listeners probably know of um and started working him full time and now i've been doing it for about five years for the general public i enjoy two it's it's almost a love-hate relationship with having to track a deer because I would rather drop a deer where it stands. Obviously, that we all do. <laughs> yeah, hunting hunting with a bow. That I mean, that's almost indi- if you drop a deer with a bow, it's almost an indicator more of that you made a bad shot, not Correct. a good shot. Yeah, you better go put another one in because yeah. you just hit it in the spine. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but I would, I, I do enjoy the tracking portion of it uh, until it does get tough, and it has gotten tough a few times. I said. I, I know of one we tracked from my buddy that had we had more time to let her lay because the way the rules were written, we had to be out of that area and we weren't going to be able to get back into it. After that, we had to be out of it 90 minutes after sunset. And he shot her um, at legal sunset, so 30 minutes before he could had to quit hunting. And so we almost immediately had to get down and start tracking that deer. And it was definitely a lung hit. Cause you, you could see where she would like bed down and cough and it, you know, spray blood everywhere. Um, but because we weren't able to let her lay in one spot and just die there, she kept getting up and moving, getting up, moving, getting up, moving. And we never could find her. And that sucks. Yeah. Especially knowing the deer's dead somewhere. It's going to be right. And you know, they don't necessarily always die on just a single long hit either. Um, I've seen trail cam confirmation photos of deer that's been hit in that single long area and they don't hit the double lung in certain spots. And a few weeks later, they're back on camera walking around and healing up. I mean, there are some pretty tough creatures uh, tracked a deer for a guy this past season. Um, <clears throat> it was definitely a gut shot. A gut shot is 99. Nine percent fatal. 
pretty much. <laughs> Problem is most people don't handle the gut shots correctly. They want to move too fast. You know, personally, I don't, I don't want to try a gut shot with a dog unless it's at least six to eight hours old. And everyone I know the heat, the heat, <clears throat> whenever I say six to eight hours, that deer's probably not been dead more than an hour to two hours at the most. Right. I mean, a gut shot takes time for the deer to expire, but we waited eight hours. The dog started tracking, went approximately 50 yards. And then it was like the deer just caught a taxi cab out of there. Um, had white, white hair on the ground at the shot site. Um, <clears throat> this was on a Sunday and that was around four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon. We finally called the track dog never did pick back up on anything. Uh, the next day at around five ten, five thirty, get a text message. This deer's walking around and you can clearly see a gash across the bottom of the deer's belly. Right. And you know, the deer's going to die at this point as much damage as is has gotten and you're talking about that deer was shot somewhere around eight o'clock in the morning the day before so 30 something hours later it's walking around with intestinal damage that's most likely going to get infected and right and causes death <clears throat> deer deer are unbelievably tough animals They're like a, i know like a year maybe a year maybe a little more ago there was a trail cam video that surfaced and i just saw it again the other day this nice buck uh, goes walking past a trail camera, has a gash uh, uh, so deep you can see the shoulder blade moving yes. inside the meat from like his neck to halfway down his back, and it's just laid open. He just goes walking right past the trail camera. Yeah. I'm like, God dang. And that's that's something, too, since I've gotten into doing tracking and more and more of it and seeing more of the confirmation photos of, uh, of the deer, at, you know, days later, weeks later, there's shots I've looked at and there's evidence and blood and stuff we're finding. And you're like, nah, I don't know if this one will live. And then every once in a while you get that one that, you know, shows back up on camera and you're like, wow, didn't think it would be able to handle that. And yeah. Sure enough. Um, I've noticed it or learned that they're, they're very resilient and they're very, very tough. Everyone talks about a hog as a tough animal. Um, I would beg to differ with them. I think a deer is way tougher than a hog when it comes to survivability. Oh, man, I shot a dang uh, little five-point one time uh, through the neck with a 270 at maybe 60 yards, mm -hmm. and he dropped right there on the spot. And uh, then he started kicking. I was like, mm, they ain't supposed to do that when you <laughs> shoot him in the neck. I racked another shell in there, and he stood up, and I said, they really ain't supposed to do that. Wow! And I shot again as he was running off into the woods. And he dropped again and got back up. And I said, shit. So I got down. I walked over there to where he was laid the first time. Bit of meat, bit of hair. And uh, so then I walked into the woods where he ran. And I could see where he hit the dirt. A little bit of gut. More hair there. I was like, nah, I done wounded this deer. Made a bad shot twice. And we ain't never going to find the dang thing. Uh, the luckiest deer ever shot in my life, I tell you what. Um, because as I'm standing there, <laughs> that's when I hear Jordan off in the bottom. Po <laughs> and, uh, he shot at a really nice nine point, um, shot at it, didn't hit it, hit yeah. the tree. Um, <laughs> and then, so my dad went to help him find that one. And then they went to look for mine. Well, I went to the back of 
the pines that that deer ran into that I shot at first thing. So if, if they bumped it out the back, I could try one more time. Yeah. So the the stand that you shot the five point from, there was a dirt road, like a two track that went through that field, and then down the edge of those pines between the pines and the bottom that I was in, and then it circled back around along the property line. So he went back there on where it circled along the property line. I was watching the property line. Yeah. And, uh, I, they did find that five point. The first shot went right to the base of its neck, made a hole the size of my fist. Never, nothing looked like it didn't bleed a drop out of it. Second shot went in the back ham and came out, uh, the, just shy of the chest cavity. Gotcha. He went 250 yards. So, I got him, uh, and that nine point that Jordan shot at is hanging on my wall because they bumped him out of them pine trees when I was sitting in that tree stand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, I didn't even know that was a buck when I shot it. I looked to my right. I had my scope zoomed all the way out so that I could, you know, make a quick shot. And uh, I looked to my right, and I looked back to my left. I said, damn, that's a big deer. Wow! And I shot that one, and he ran off. Went and found he didn't go but 70 yards. Didn't go 20. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um when it comes to them, them rifle shots, whenever the deer drops, most of the time, I would say a large percentage, 40 to 50% of the calls I get during rifle season, you wouldn't believe how many times people tell me the deer dropped. Everything was good. Then all of a sudden it got back up and went to moving. Um, and I wish that people that's hunting with a rifle, <clears throat> they would think or pay attention from, for a reasonable amount of time. I'm not talking about just 10 seconds because I had mm-hmm. a I had a guy uh, up the road. He dropped one with a 30-06, 20 yards from, from his tree stand. He's on the phone with his wife telling him, telling her that uh, he killed a deer. Yeah. And he said it had to be 15, 20 seconds later. He said all of a sudden he heard something crashing. He gets looking around and looks where his deer was. It's gone. It was his deer. <laughs> um and we didn't recover that one um that's that's the point i was going to get at is everyone thinks just because they drop they're done they're they're not um <clears throat> when you're hunting with a rifle i highly recommend waiting a good minute or two to watch it make sure it's done if the deer starts getting back up shoot until it drops or shoot it again or until you run out of bullets that's, yeah <laughs> that's my theory that's I, i'm trying to think that's the only one that I've ever that five points the only one I've ever shot that's dropped and then proceeded to get back up. Um, and I had the wherewithal to realize that the shot that I just attempted to make had would have resulted in the deer dropping in his tracks, uh, as it did. But then when he started kicking, no, and, and I knew at that point that you know that deer shouldn't be doing that, and he should just be graveyard dead right now. So then I rack another shell in there. That's another mistake you can make. I mean, as soon as you shoot that, get the next shell in the chamber and Absolutely. be ready to go. Because um, had I not done that, I'd just sit in there with an empty gun. Right. And shooting those shoulder shots, <clears throat> they're effective until they're not. Is right. a joke with us in the, in the tracking world. Um, most people talk about no man's land and there's a space between the lungs and, and the spine. There is no space. Most times what happens whenever it comes to that, you're shooting a little too high into the shoulder. The spine dips dramatically in between the shoulder blades. And you're basically shooting through the top of the shoulder blades and running back strap. And it's right. enough to shock the spine when they're right. getting back up. And it kind of paralyzes them temporarily. Um, <clears throat> that's why 
most of the time, uh, we in the track world, we, we recommend learning what a good double lung shot is versus doing those high shoulders. Might be some tracking involved, but double lung shot is uh, is as good as a yip. And see here, what I what I try to do, you're looking at that, like Jordan's got a, uh, like the anatomy of a, a exactly. deer pulled up here on the screen, is I try to take crosshairs, and especially if a deer is standing steady broadside, if you look when they're, both their legs are flat in the front, there's a bit of a point right where their leg meets their body. Exactly. If you'll tuck that crosshair like just above that point still on the leg, you'll blow out both their front legs. Yeah. And if they do run, they don't go uh, anywhere very fast. And usually when you do that, you also, as you see when you just had it pulled up, you get both lungs and the heart. Yeah, but so you're looking at. But if you pull, if you pull up the. Uh, you're looking at like that area right there. No, that area lower. right there just See below, that dimple? Yeah, right, right there, there. Right there. To the yeah. left of where your cursor is. Right there. But here's the problem. If you go about, if you flinch just a little bit and you mess up and you end up about three inches forward. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Yeah. And you're getting into the brisket um, in the base of the neck. Uh, you also got the, if some people like to aim a little higher than that. Um, Always try to put it about right there. Yeah, and see that's that's another one where you're flirting with disaster because another three inches forward, you're you're hitting yeah. shoulder and back yeah. strap. The, you're over top of the lung and everything. If you don't get exactly because yeah. you see the spine right there. I mean that's a that's a much bigger chunk of nothing other than muscle and bone than what people realize it is. I hate that I hate that diagram you got pulled up because it's like the deer's walking. It, well, it's very like uh, childish almost. It's a cartoon like yeah. That's not a bad one. No, yeah, that's that's better. Yeah, but then the whole the whole game changes when you're shooting a bow because you almost have to try and avoid hitting bone. Correct, and and that's you know that's something to always run into too, is that um, <clears throat> a lot of bow hunters they still try to shoot for that shoulder or real tight to that shoulder, and essentially when it comes to mechanicals. I shoot mechanicals. There's nothing wrong with shooting mechanicals. In my opinion, there's other people out there. Obviously they have their opinions about mechanicals. Come a little closer to the microphone. Oh. Um, but they, uh, <clears throat> the mechanicals, they lose so much kinetic energy whenever they hit that front shoulder blade yeah. that it almost completely stops. Um, and you might get in that single lung situation that we were just talking about and potentially not find that deer. Right. Um, <clears throat> and people will say all the time, Oh, I, I, I got it right in the shoulder and, I know it's dead and things of that nature, but then we can find the arrow and you've only got a few inches of penetration on it, you know, because naturally they typically don't run, uh, get a full pass through in that scenario. But if you're shooting for bone, fixed blades is a lot better. But I would recommend that you shoot maybe back about that first to second rib behind the shoulder blade in that vicinity. And angle is everything too. I mean, yeah, I was going to say. You know, uh, most people shooting for entry, and that's the wrong theory. Um, shoot for exit, right? Um, and that's where, and it happens to everybody. You know, you get excited, you don't think things through, a little bit of buck fever, whatever, and so you just shoot and don't do don't do exactly what you wanted to have happen. Um, so then that's whenever I get phone calls, whenever things like that happens, and. So I'm gonna I'm gonna explain this to you in a very uh, easy to visualize way. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a vital zone, it's like looking at if, a directly broadside deer. It's like looking at the top of a beer can if you hold it sideways. 
when that deer quarters away, right, the vital zone gets bigger. So you turn that beer can on a, on a quarter, like quartering away shot, and your vital zone grows from that circle to an oval. You think about looking at a cylinder on its side, a beer can, and as you spin it, it gets bigger. So the same thing occurs uh, when you're looking at the vital zone of a deer. If it's quartered away from you, your vital zone opens up a little wider, and like you said, shooting for the exit. So when you're 20 foot up a tree shooting down at a deer at 10 yards with a bow, you don't aim at the very low pocket. You want to aim high so that it exits low. Cause right. if you aim low, you're going to exit. You're going to have very minimal like arrow inside the body time. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and with a bow in general, a shot a little further back is going to help with a, ensure a pass through versus a shot a little further forward. Right. Obviously. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, what I suggest to people is, you know, aim for the back of the opposite shoulder, the shoulder that's not right. facing you. That's where you want to, you want to aim there and don't even pay attention pretty much to the rest of the body. Cause it's, if you're straight on, it should get enough of the vitals. Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel, from business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters. We all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or... 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamis.com that's r-o-m-a-n at r-o-m-a-n v-h-a-m-m-e-s dot com offices Florida and South Carolina Right. So <clears throat> I got a question for you. When it comes to, uh, you know, a lot of people try to get their bows turned up so high and they think they want, they have to have a clean pass through with a bow. How often do you see where an arrow goes in, doesn't come out the other side, do just as well? Um, happens fairly regular, actually. Um, obviously, track for a couple women hunters. Um, <clears throat> actually, recovered a woman's first deer here a few years ago nice little eight point um <clears throat> they made some mistakes they tried putting a hunting dog on the deer they jumped the deer a couple times <clears throat> ended up it, they shot it early in the morning we recovered it for about nine o'clock that evening um and she was hunting with maybe about a 50 pound raw weight and was shooting rage mechanical once again, you know, they lose the kinetic energy on impact. 
So 50 pound draw weight and shooting that fixed blade, I want to say it was probably maybe about eight inches of penetration. And it was actually kind of a more of a liver shot set back at the back of the rib cage. And had they not jumped the deer, it probably would have only went maybe a hundred yards, 125 yards. They just tra- started tracking too soon. They jumped the deer and, uh, <clears throat> And after they jumped the deer, they backed out, went and got a hunting dog from, I believe, her father-in-law or someone they knew. And the hunting dog went one direction. We ended up finding the deer. My dog went the same direction the hunting dog did to start with, but there's reasons that we can discuss later as potentially why that happened. Um, Actually, the deer only went maybe about another 50 yards and bedded back down and that's where we found it at um so when it comes to that it's all about shot placement i mean you can if if it's in the in the vitals a good eight inches ten inches is more than enough um but most of the time the pass-throughs don't happen that way um or the the non-pass-throughs i should say uh most of the non-pass-throughs that we get whenever we come out is usually low penetration. There's signs of a lot of meat and, you know, bright red blood. Everyone says bright red blood's good. It depends if it's kind of watery looking more clear natured. It's usually muscle hit. There'll be things like, like I said, a little bit of meat or whatever in the broadhead. Um, most of the time we're not going to recover that deer in that situation with a bow shot because you just didn't get the penetration through the shoulder blade. The best kind of blood is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> them, them, the leg shots and the and stuff like that, they'll bleed, they'll bleed the oh, whole stuff now, for so, a good ways. I'll I tell you a story about a, a, a leg shot. I And this kind of ties into what I want to say, too. Um, is It's one of the hardest things to do, even as an experienced hunter, um, is to uh, wait. Yes. Is to just sit there and be like, it's, you know what? I shot a deer. Especially ran if it's away. a good buck. It's man. not a big excited. deal. Yeah, oh yeah, you get so excited. Or it's your first deer. You want to get down there and you want to lay hands on the deer and you want to be excited about it. Um, but it really is a necessary thing. It, yeah, and that's one of the main points I wanted to bring up, you know, for everyone with season coming up. Um, you know, if you even before you call a tracker, do some research on wait times. Now, obviously, here in Florida, the heat is a concern. I understand that. And um what you're going to find on the national average of what they suggest for wait times, depending on the sign you find, we typically kind of cut that in half to maybe two thirds of those wait times just to kind of account for the heat. Um, we found deer in September that was shot at eight o'clock in the morning and didn't recover till six thirty in the evening and didn't hit the first piece of ice until nine o'clock at night. And the meat was fine. I mean, if it's not in direct sunlight shaded and of course this was a gut shot too. So, right could have took six seven eight hours before she actually expired before we actually recovered so you still got blood pumping through that meat for most of that time correct and you know you don't want to get too squirreled on it but um basically before any spoilage starts to happen on meat the meat itself has to meet the existing air temperature and once that happens then the meat has to start to heat back up if that's not happened you're not the spoilage hasn't even began yet 
Um, ambient temperature of a deer is like 101 to 104 degrees. Really? They're running yes. that hot? Yes. Yes. I believe it. <clears throat> I, uh, so take this scenario, for instance. You shoot a deer early, you know, mid-morning, opening weekend coming up. It's 90 degrees. Right. Well, it's 100. The deer is 101 degrees. They, it sits there, expires for four hours. Well, 90 degrees is going to cool off 101 degree body heat much slower than the outside air temperature being at 60 degrees. Right. So you've got a pretty good window. I mean, I'm more concerned on the mornings whenever the temp drops to 50, 55 overnight. You shoot right. that deer first thing in the morning, and then it gets later into the day, and we heat up to 90. So now the meat's cooled down faster, and the air temperature is heated back up. So yeah, much, probably much more of a chance of it spoiling on a day like that versus whatever it's hovering at 90 and, you know, it's gradually cooling that deer back down. So I get it. Everybody wants to save their deer, but there's, <clears throat> there's a little bit of science, but you know, as to why we wait aside from that. Um, and we, I've had several people call me and I can be talking to other trackers and they're like, yeah, there's a guy looking for a deer or looking for a dog to, to come find his deer. Told him he needs, needs to wait, you know, six hours, eight hours, whatever. And sure enough, they'll call three people, three, four different trackers in the area, and we've all done talk about it. Right. And what what people's doing is they, like you said, they want to go now. They always want to go now. Um, <clears throat> and it always ends up, uh, a lot of times they don't find the deer because they move too fast. And they're calling around. People's wanting to get, they want to get the answer they're looking for, you know. Well, it's like it's like <clears throat> when your kids come come to go to go to dad, and he says no, exactly. and they try and go run to mom and get a different answer. Like, hey, we talk to each other, you know that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's exactly. gonna tell you no. They too. talk to one tracker, and he says wait, so they call a different tracker. That's right. exactly yeah. what happens. <laughs> right. So, uh, what I wanted to talk earlier about that that leg shot and and waiting. I I had a buddy who uh, didn't have a lot of hunting experience, and I kind of showed him as an adult how to hunt um how to you know look for deer sign got him set up opening morning he shoots one and he's pumped and i'm like dude just sit and wait well i'll be back i've told him like we're getting down at 10 o'clock i'll come help you at 10 stay in your stand and this was at like 7 35 barely just just got good in daylight <laughs> and i sat there and mind you'd been an hour now and uh, I'm I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, man, I remember how freaking excited I was when I shot my first deer. It's like I really feel like a dick. <laughs> so I climbed down. I walked over there and went to look for it. And the first thing I found was a nice chunk of bone. Right. And then she ran into a cornfield. And he's like, there's blood everywhere. And in the cornfield, yeah, dude, there was blood. It looked like there. There's no way she went more than sixty yards. But then we got out of the cornfield and I started finding pin drop, pin drop pin drop and i realized it wasn't that she was bleeding a lot is that she was rubbing against everything with the little bit of blood she had on her leg which smeared smeared it on everything and made it look like a lot well and the other thing to think about too is you're saying bone a lot of i'd say 90 95 of the shots somewhere in there whenever you find bone along either at the hip side or at the track it's almost an automatic indicator to a Low shoulder leg shot. Um, you're getting nothing but muscle there a lot of times. 
it's just like the day you slice your finger with a knife. How much blood did you bleed? And I didn't bleed for a solid like 30 seconds. Right. I I, I bled a lot once it started bleeding, it bled a lot, but it took forever for it to bleed. Yeah. And, uh, same thing with a paper cut, you know, it's, yeah. it's a scrape, oh, yeah, no. but you know, that's soft tissue. You get a lot, I mean, a lot of blood comes out for the amount that it is. And, uh, it is weird. I mean, rifles, rifles on tracks are, we get calls all, quite often, different people that I know. And the hunter will say, we haven't found a bit of blood. And can you at least bring the dog out and see what happens? And 150 yards later, here's a double, double lung shot deer and just didn't bleed. Um, could be a higher in the cavity shot and the blood's was, not leaking I was going to ask you about that because I've had that before <clears throat> where, you know, you shoot a deer, you get a high hit. And I know this to be true from experience, but I wanted to hear it from you as well to confirm what I have seen. That you hit that deer high and they do run. And you can even go down there to the hit site, the, the site where you shot it, and there not be a drop. And actually, I did this a couple of years ago. Um shot a doe and there was no blood and then 10 yards away there was a little tiny pin drop another 10 yards a little bit bigger pin drop about 40 yards in blood everywhere and she was dead another 30 <laughs> yards later but it took that distance and time for that cavity to fill for blood to start spilling out of the hole uh onto the ground where you could see it right and you know Sometimes whenever at the hit site, you're going to get like a little bit of a little bit of splatter or a little bit of impact where you got mm-hmm. you know some specks and stuff that you're going to find. And like you said, hardly no blood. And then all of a sudden you can go and it just opens up and the deer's right there. Um, <clears throat> there was actually a, a hunter that contacted me and another tracker this past season. It was through the week. Could have got to him in the evening and uh, after work and he sent us pictures of the blood and we didn't realize that he was talking to both of us kind of at the same time as well. Right. And sent us some pictures of the blood and kind of told us a little bit of what, what happened and uh, with the shot reaction and how the deer acted afterwards. This was with a bow, um, if I remember correctly. And I was like, man, I said, be honest with you. I said, I understand you're not finding blood right now. I said, but I would go, I said, it sounded like it's a liver shot, maybe an intestinal shot. Um, <clears throat> I would wait about three hours and then, move that distance, that path that the deer took and see what you find. And, uh, about 40 yards after he lost sight of it, sure enough, there was some blood and there was deer right there. And it was a liver shot. I mean, you know, and that's something else too. Sometimes over the phone, if we see certain things or certain shot reactions, obviously we don't want people to go trampling over the track, but you know, might, Hey, try this, try that. And there's several times a year that, uh, season that myself or different trackers has talked to people over the phone and next thing you know they're sending you a text message or a picture of the deer and it's right there so so let's talk about a little bit of uh do's and don'ts uh for after the shot well to start with i suggest that everybody treats the treats the shot the uh, shot site and the track like a crime scene um if you Decide that you do need to call a dog. I would, I highly recommend you walk back down the same track, the same path as close as you can that you went in on. Um, <clears throat> paying attention to the, how the deer reacts after the shot. I mean, things like they hunch up, did they run away? Did they mule kick? Mule kick 
that can mean anything quite honestly right um <clears throat> if the deer dropped it got back up you know things of that nature uh color of the blood pictures of the blood whatever you're bow hunting save the arrow try not to wipe it clean nothing like that um because the arrow can tell the whole story sometimes between color of body hair um the type of blood or the color of the blood things of that nature that's on the arrow so and when it comes to bow season it's there's more evidence that you have right there at the moment versus potentially with that rifle where all oh, the deer took off running i think i missed and right or i know i hit it and didn't find any blood so definitely try to preserve as much as you can and the reasons why we recommend not to number one don't go get don't go get all your buddies and just start walking through the woods right because <clears throat> i've always been one that's been very careful even before i started doing this with dogs of trying not to disturb the track itself in case you did need a dog I didn't understand exactly why you did that. Now I do. Um, <clears throat> essentially what you're doing whenever you're scanning further out away from the track, it's not that you're necessarily destroying the track in the scent. You're actually picking up the scent on you. And now you're dispersing the scent that the dog's got to work mm. through to get back onto that track. Um, so, so question on that. When I blood trail deer, I try not to walk directly in the blood trail i'm trying to walk to one side or the other looking at blood right. uh, and then if i do lose blood i'm always trying to double back to the last place i know i had it and then just stand there and scan with my eyes for that next single drop or whatever else is that is that disturbing the track well yeah because um let's say you are walking down the down the correct track and you're not finding the blood well now whenever you go to loop back around you just loop back around and put well, a big what I mean there. by, by loop back around is that like, I, I, okay. I find my uh, drop of blood. I'm at this <clears> end of the table and then uh, I'll, I'll walk in a straight line in the direction I've been continuing the entire time, maybe to the other end of the table. And then I'll stand there and look for blood. And then when I don't find blood after standing there for two or three minutes, just visually scanning the area around me, I step from that end of the table back to this end of the table Gotcha. And do another scan to make sure the deer didn't hook a 90 right here. And I just stepped across the track. Right. And no, I mean, that's a good, pretty good method. You're not because a lot of times what happens whenever we run into, I've seen these issues is usually there's multiple people on the track and they're right. spreading out and, you know, checking instead of moving slow and trying to look for the blood. Um, typically we recommend within myself and I know other trackers does, if you're not finding blood within, if you got a 30 yard gap but and you went, you found no blood or ain't found the deer, it's probably a good idea to start backing out and thinking about calling the dog. Um, people, people say, Oh, you need to learn how to grid search and stuff like that. Well, the thing is you can grid search after you've called a dog. The right. problem with grid searching before you call the dog is, is you just did what, what I said is going to happen is you've picked up the scent and now you spread it in, you know, an acre, two acre area of land. And that can cause problems with the dogs. Right. Um, Cause now it's got the back and forth and everything else. And it, it just confuses the dog or can, I mean, some dogs, they can handle it pretty well. Others can't, I mean, and dogs have a bad day. 
Fair. So, the don'ts, do's, you know, when to call, when... Obviously, you're not going to call if you find the deer. Right. <laughs> I mean, pictures are always nice. Like, hey, look what I look what I killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, especially if it's on public land, please include a pin uh, to the area where you found said deer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for scientific <laughs> research purposes, you know. Um. <laughs> it's only going to go in Onyx folder for scientific purposes only. Yeah. Right. What do you uh, What do you think about these guys um, using drones to find deer? Um, can it be helpful in certain situations? Yes. It has it worked. I still don't think it's ever going to replace a dog. Um, whenever it comes to it. And I'll tell you why in Florida, as thick as it is, um, and especially if it's been a while since the deer was killed or has expired, unless you, even with the heat imaging and stuff like that, you're not going to find it. I mean, and mm. you're still, you're still in a needle in a haystack, um, type of scenario. Um, we actually recovered a registry buck this year for, for a gentleman. We jumped it. It was a straight gut shot. Um, its belly was open shot with a 30 out six. <clears throat> Most people think, okay, 30 out six years dead, no matter where you hit it. Right. Well, about five hours into the track or after the shot, they done jumped this deer a few times and was finding very little to no blood. And the hunter actually, actually just walked up on the deer is how they found it. And he was still alive. Well, the dog went roughly 400 yards to 500 yards, somewhere in there past where they last found blood. No one's seen a drop of blood. And now we're talking about, we're at like that six hour window. Um, we jumped the deer, deer ran into a lake. We decided the weight, um, being as a registry buck, didn't want to put the dog up one-on-one against a, a buck with headgear that, you know, of that size. Obviously, the deer was a good bit bigger. It wasn't like he was just trying to catch a little doe or a little buck or something right. of that nature. I told him, I said, let's wait four hours. And we, the the guy that was with me, <clears throat> he seen where the whereabouts that deer bedded down. I said, if we don't leave him or if we don't disturb him, He'll probably be laying right there close by whenever we come back. Come back four hours later, start the dog. Sure enough, the deer's laying right there. But I didn't even see the deer until I got up to it, almost standing on top of it because it was buried in briars. Um, and had the dog not been there trying to figure out how to get through the briars itself, they could have easily walked right past that deer, never even seen it. A drone wouldn't have picked it up. It was that covered. Um, I've actually got some pictures that I can show you guys later that, um, just standing over top, looking through the briars. I mean, you really, really had to look to see where that deer was at. Right. So that's why I don't think the drones, like I said, they're a tool they can help, but I don't think they're going to ever going to be able to outdo what, what a tracking dog can do. No, there's no, that you, you can't place a value on a dog with a good nose. Yeah. But the power in a dang thermal imaging camera depending on the amount of money you spend on it <laughs> yeah. uh, right because you know you a lot of people you say oh a thermal i got a thermal on my ar yeah yeah well i bought it on wish for 150 dollars right but the thing too is i mean there's thermals that are so good and that i've personally laid hands on that you can stand 
the five of us next to, or three of us next to a, a, a fire, mm-hmm. a raging fire. And you can adjust the temperature ratio down to such a degree that you can see the difference in the fire, in the people, and then still read the Under Pressure Outdoors logo stitched into Jordan's shirt because it's a different temperature than right. the rest of his body. But those um, are likely not what you own. Of course not. Or not available to and you. And I'm not going to lie. If you, uh, no, they're available. Um, if, uh, if you do own something like that um, and you listen to this podcast, Shoot us an email. Um, I'd love to hang out and you know play with some of your stuff. We'll also take uh, donations because if you can afford <laughs> exactly. that, if you can afford that scope, you can afford to. Yeah, you're talking like a thirty thousand dollar. Yeah, thirty thousand dollar scope. And well, and even even with the drone imaging or the um, thermal thermal imaging, thermal yeah. in, in, imaging um, you know, a lot of times too, um, it's gotten more accessible for people to be able to get a hold of somebody with a tracking dog these days because of various groups. Right, you know, social media and things like that. You know, back in the day, say even five to seven years ago, a lot of people didn't know somebody with a dog that they could just call to come out or anything right. like that. Um, and it may take the next day to get a dog to come out there to, to try to find your deer. At that point, the thermal Im- imaging is at a disadvantage because now it's matched the existing ground temperature, things of that nature. It could be buried in palmettos, you know, that you're not just going to see right over top of the, even if you're right there just above the palmettos. I mean, right. hell, <clears throat> I know there's been times, damn, people's tripped over the deer trying to look for one in a, you know, in a in the palmetto flats or something like that, and um, <clears throat> and we actually, the dog recovered one here a couple of years ago. It was in such thick stuff. I was five foot away, and I actually just happened to see the hoof sticking out into a little opening. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's just how thick it was where, where the deer had expired at. And I knew the dog was in there from the GPS and everything, but I couldn't see the dog, couldn't see the deer and just happened to see a little hoof, you know, sticking out in just a little hand size opening. I, I've had the, there, there was a time, uh, I want to say back before it became social media popular. Right. Um, the only time I could think of, I, I probably would have would have called a dog still found the deer um but i was on literally belly crawling tracking blood the size of a pinhead inches at a time through the leaves uh go ahead jordan so now that you bring that up i feel like and it's something me and you have talked about several times there has got to be so many times where people say they shoot a deer i need a dog like, I'm, have you actually put in any effort to find the blood, or are you just well? Deer that that say, goes back. I need a dog. That goes back to the same thing I asked earlier with tracking deer, and you don't want to understand not wanting to destroy the the scent path. But I guess I mean, so in the instance that I run out of blood, I don't have to necessarily take you back to the hit site. I can take you to the last place I lost blood. Correct, or do you need to be you, from the hit site? Um, depending on how much of the track you possibly contaminated. And that, this is just another big point that I want to make. If you do call somebody to come out with their dog, <clears throat> be 100% honest as best you can. Of yeah. What you did, where you went. Um, because I can't tell you how many times 
<clears throat> we don't recover a deer and all of a sudden we'll get into the track and they'll be like, no, we didn't go over here. We didn't go over there. And the dog starts going that way. And well, next thing you know, I'm finding boot prints that's matching right. the hunter. Right. Um, you know, be respectful as to what we're asking when we do come out with a dog and spend the time. Um, that's the, there's no sense in trying to lie. I mean, look, there's, there's no shame in having put in every bit of effort you could to have right. found the deer you just shot. The problem is, is when you go in there and you tell your tracker, no, 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 no. I didn't do what you want. You, you made, you really wanted me not to do before you told me not to exactly. do it. Uh, you say, Hey man, you know, I, I might've screwed that up because I did do this to try and find that deer. Right. That way and it's a known variable. Well, yeah, then he it, it, yeah. assesses and his situation. Exactly. There's, there's different things that, you know, as the handler, you can help the dog work through that. Right. You know, I mean, you can start to circle out in a bigger pattern or, you know, dismiss that the deer may have went that way, but there's also a possibility it didn't go that way. Um, and as a handler, being able to read the dog is, is very important, especially when there's no blood at all. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you you start to you get to know the dog. You start to see how the body language can change when they're tracking and when they're off of the track and when they're just searching, different things like that. And that stuff as the handler, I've got to, you know, pay attention to and decide, okay, well, he's lost the track. Let's go back to where we last found blood, start again, um, things of that nature. Uh, and just overall, another big thing is people want to crowd the dog sometimes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, give the dog a little bit of space. Some dogs act better, you know, than others sometimes. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to having people around or people, the strange people up close to them, you know, just hang back, give the dog some space, let, let the handler assess what's going on between what the dog's telling him or her. Um, there's, and that's another thing too. <clears throat> uh, when it comes to the women trackers out there, I highly recommend that you listen to most of them that I know out there. They're very, <laughs> very good at it. Um, <clears throat> so don't underestimate a woman that shows up with her dog and don't underestimate that dog. Cause there's some women out there that's tougher than a lot of men. I know. So, you know, I, I got a question, you know, I noticed you work for your municipality. You ever thought about just bringing a shovel along to hand to people? Cause I, I tend to see when you hand people shovels, they find them good to lean against and let somebody else work. <laughs> that's a good idea. No, I haven't thought about that. Um, yeah. Because, hey, and, and give him a good spot to lean, you know, watch the dog work. And, you know, that's the thing about it is uh, <clears throat> you tell them to wait. You, you, so you get some people that get excited. You say, okay, wait with the last blood or whatever. I try to get people to advance to the next blood I find and give us that much of a difference. Right. Or a distance in buffer zone. Um, might go on a little bit. The dog might take us one way for a second and get off the track and come back. And next thing you know. There could be, if there's two, three hunters there, they could be scattered out, you know, 30 yard radius looking for more blood. Right. And that's not helping um, for reasons, like I've said, uh, you're spreading the sin around, making it harder on the dog to, to actually stay on the track. Um, that happens to us quite a bit. And again, some hunters are much better at it than others and more, you know, respect more of what we say. Um, while we're on the topic too, just kind of, following the rules more or less that the, the trackers are, are asking and things like that is uh, some people are different than others, myself and a lot of other trackers I know. We do not allow anyone to carry firearms except for ourselves. Oh, um, completely understandable. That's how you end up getting shot. 
There yeah. was actually a tracker out of Illinois last year that um, got hit in the leg with a crossbow. Luckily, he was good. He, you know, nothing serious. Um, but uh, yeah, with a crossbow, just that, just that fast. Yeah, um, got shot in the leg. I mean, I don't know the whole details of exactly how it happened or anything like that. Um, and they had to life flight him at first just because. Right. I'm sure it was probably a little bit of a different, you know, terrain or whatever. Hard I mean, to get him out of. I was going to say, you think if he's hitting the leg, that could be dang near right next to an artery. Right. I think it was, if I remember correctly, I think it was in the um, in the lower leg in the in the shin tibular or whatever. Um. <clears throat> So yeah, we we I've showed up and hunters are just dead set on carrying the guns. And in the past, I have let them, but especially after that incident last year, I went to a strict no firearm policy on on the track. Um, and like this past year, we had a situation. <clears throat> it was the second day of the season, bow season. And I didn't think anything of it. The guy brought his bow with him, and I know the guy, so I trust him. And uh, <clears throat> the deer was still alive. Dog had to catch it. And uh, why we're getting in there to where the dog's got the deer caught, his brother's saying, get your bow ready and get an arrow loaded. So that way you can take a shot. Well, the problem is, aside from personal safety and hunter safety, is now when you're shooting at a, at a deer in that situation, you're endangering the dog. That's like shooting at shooting at ducks with a dog in the decoys. You just exactly. don't do that. Exactly. Yeah. And again, it's you know, people get get excited to you know get in the heat of the moment, and you know, so try to remove that. And uh, <clears throat> most of the time, if if the dog's got a deer caught, we're going. To, a lot of trackers try to dispatch it with a knife, anyways, just right. because it's safer for the dog. I mean, in that split second, anything can dog one, can whip around one exactly, side. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> So that's just one one big thing. Um, also, once you have contacted a a tracking team to come out, um, if you're on a smaller piece of property, make sure that you have permission permission from the neighbors. Be working on those kinds of things. Um, there's some people out there that believe that if they let their dog go across the property line, you're legal and you can go over there to get your dog. And if you happen to find the deer, great. Well, that's right. not the case. Um, so whenever, if we don't have permission for myself and um, most trackers, if we, if we don't have the permission, we're not going to go into a property that we don't have permission on. So that's, I wish, I wish more States were right to retrieve States it, myself as well. But yeah. I mean, I understand the want for, you know, private property is private property. Um, but in, in, in the instance of right to retrieve, like you, you have as a person who is not the landowner, uh, you, you obviously shouldn't be carrying a firearm, but still be able to go and get your deer. Right. And I, I feel like it, even in the instance, it you should still have to notify said landowner. And, you know, obviously they could be happy with it or not happy with it. But in the end, at the end of the day, you still have a right to retrieve. Yeah, there would be some good common sense policies that, you know, rules, I think, that could go along with that, of course. Um, as far as even contacting FWC prior to right. and things of that nature, um, which that's another good point. Um, people will 
be hunting near public land or stuff that's closed the hunting. Um, while you may be able to walk over there to get your deer, if you can find it, um, it's not exactly legal to just go in there with a dog or a firearm of any right. sort. Um, <clears throat> now, a lot of times, um, if you have a deer that runs into public land or some kind of a conservation area where no hunting's allowed or not allowed at that time, <clears throat> I personally will call FWC, talk to a game warden within the area, explain to them what's going on. Sometimes FWC will come out, assist, you know, or supervise what's going on over whenever it comes to the actual track. Um, and I've done that, like I said, numerous times in the past, whenever it's, it's happened. Um, and most of the time FWC, they, they've never really given me any issues over that kind of a, that kind of a scenario where the deer's on public land. They usually say, yeah, you know, do what you got to do and good luck kind of thing. I let's uh what. hang on so okay let's let's pause for a second because uh, it is much cooler outside i, I want to just make it known to the audience that the ac uh, had a malfunction today and uh i i'm Weird. it's getting hot in here and i'm about to take off all my clothes so we're gonna Please pause for a that. second yeah, i know right sauna. we're gonna t- pause for a second turn the ac on and uh, step outside The Under Pressure Outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by Hang Free. With a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in a hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. I will be right back. So, I, I want to have this discussion because I, I know that you watch most Facebook pages, whether it be Florida Deer Hunters or any Deer Hunters page, be a tracking page, anything. There's an age-old... I mean, it's not even age-old, man. It, it, it's a... A new discussion that everybody, like it's a bandwagon that people are going to jump on. And I know it's a caliber William shoots. Hey, all I want to say is, and and I'll lead the question off to you, Jordan, before we get into this. What caliber of blood trails have you seen come from the infamous 6'5 Creedmoor? I Uh, have seen nothing but coming from you, right? So I know it's proper shot placement. I've seen nothing but an absolute bloodbath of blood trails. Or a deer where I shot it. And I know that you know you know your round, you know your grain weight, you know your shot placement. I mean, you have got that gun dialed in to a T. I took my time with it. I mean, I don't you're, make you're decisions shooting, lightly. Yeah, you're not shooting your, your bottom-of-the-barrel Walmart-grade Six five creed more rounds. No. No. I don't shoot Remington's. No. <laughs> but go ahead, ask your question. I was gonna say, I mean, what is, what is probably your most infamous tracking round? You know, um I've never had to track one yet after six five creed more. And 30-06 seems to be the one 
the one caliber that I get more calls for during rifle season. Track behind 308s, 270s. Um, and I know everybody probably listens like, that's crazy. They're the, you know, some of the best ones out there. And I think the biggest reason why is because they're the most commonly used rounds out there today. So if everyone in the woods is shooting a 30 out six, there's more probability of a bad shot coming from a 30 out six. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> and now with that said, it goes back to the same thing we were discussing when it comes to mechanicals versus uh, fixed blade. Shot placement is key. I mean, the round that you're using, obviously, that's going to come into play. Um, <clears throat> and that's pretty much my take on it is the popular calipers ends up being that they're used so much. That's why they probably get more of the – get more calls for tracking, in my experience. Now, there's other people out there that they'll dog a 6.5 and, you know, it's all in good fun or – Two things. Whatever. The hardest track I've ever had on a deer that I shot – the one that we talked about earlier, we talked about we stepped outside because it's so hot in here. The doe that I was trailing pin drops, I shot at 40 yards with a 3-inch Magnum 12-gauge Sabo slug. Mm. So to say, it's like, oh, it's a tiny bullet. No, that's a big old right. honking bullet, and it beat the ever-loving crap out of me to get it down range, and she didn't bleed a drop. And now, too, for the people who hate on 6.5 Creedmoors, okay, and then tell people to go buy uh, on the same handle, tell somebody like, "Oh, a good ki- a good gun to start a kid out on with is a 243." I just want to point out to you that a 243 is a six millimeter bullet, six millimeter, not a six and a half millimeter, a six millimeter on a 308 casing. I digress. Go ahead. And there's there's been plenty of deer killed with a 243. We all know that, <laughs> right? I, mean, yeah. I I even hunt with a 243 personally. So right, nothing wrong with them. Exactly. They kill deer. Yeah. Um, and- that's like dad talking about what when when you first got your six five. He had the whole. He's like, he I shoot a, I shoot a seven millimeter. You're well, like, he said, he said, why don't you just go buy a seven a seven millimeter oh eight? I said, well, it's half a millimeter smaller than that. And he said, well, what grain weight bull are you shooting? I said, what grain weight are you shooting? He said, it's one hundred and fifty. I said, these are one hundred and forty three. We're talking the difference in seven grains of weight, Dad. Like this, there's not a big difference here, <laughs> right? But uh, I will tell you right now, though, if if your kid can shoot a two forty three, your kid can shoot a seven millimeter weight, and your kid can shoot a six five. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I've never been a massive fan of the the two forty three. We both started out on a thirty thirty before we ever went to a seven millimeter weight. Yep. So. Of, of what you, I don't know how you old, how old you were when you started with your thirty thirty, but uh, I think I was eight or nine. I'd say I think I was eight or nine, and I'm fixing to start my son out this year, who's seven, on a six point eight SPC, which is a, uh, it it fits in an AR fifteen platform. It's a small gotcha. cartridge, but it's a, it's got a lot. It's got some punch behind it. It's more than capable of taking a deer out to four hundred yards. Not gonna let a seven year old shoot right. that far by any means, but the AR platform is a great platform to start a little kid out on because I don't have to buy a youth rifle. I can collapse a stock all the way in, and it fits him in a full size rifle. He can make a good shot. I can put a round in there that has more powder behind it, and is more than capable of taking a deer and at a hundred yards and in, right. and and let him shoot a deer. And it's not gonna it dude. It doesn't kick at all. Literally. I, so, so, so we, we've, we've kind of discussed caliber here and you said, I don't shoot Remington. All right. What's your infamous Remington round here? 
that dad's dad used to be a huge fan of. Look, man. So the 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 only reason I don't shoot Remington is because Remington doesn't shoot Remington. Right. When Remington tests firearms in their uh, like testing facility, they shoot Federals, and that should tell you enough. Yeah. Okay. Remington rounds. The Remington core lock has killed more deer than probably any uh, more deer, elk, everything else than any other brand of round on the face of this planet. It's an easy round to buy. Yeah. It is. It's available everywhere. Again, it goes back to being, it's commonly used. Same right. The common calibers of, you know, yeah, they get a bad reputation for losing deer, but at the same time, 75% of the hunting world's using that product. So, But listen, I don't shoot a Remington Corlock because I don't think it's capable of shooting a deer. I don't shoot Remington Corlocks because there's, I am, like you talked about, I, I know my round, I know my grain weight, I know my gun, I know everything. I take it down to a science and consistency, especially you understand this if you're an archery hunter, like a big time archery hunter, consistency is accuracy. Correct. What you don't find in Remington core locks is enough consistency. If you're if you're looking for consistency and you're you're not you're not satisfied with um I won't even say minute of a pie plate. If you're not satisfied with shooting rounds touching each other, and there are some guns that will shoot Remington core locks that well, it's knowing your gun. But if that doesn't satisfy you, if, if you're constantly looking for the hole and hole grouping at 100, 150 yards, nine, most of the time you're you're just not going to find that in a Remington core lock because of the inconsistency in load. And I'll go as far as to say, you know this much because of what you have done for work, but... No, I know this much because of what I because I enjoy shooting. Yeah, well, well, I'm gonna say that one thing that almost every person does these days is watch YouTube, right? And if you watch enough YouTube, you can know everything that William knows just based off YouTube videos, right? I mean, you can figure out uh, grain weight for your twist rate. I mean, you can figure out everything to a science for your gun just based off enough YouTube videos. People just don't put the time in to do it. They think that just because your gun can hit the vital zone on a deer is, you know, decently sized. And you think just because I can hit a five inch circle, I can put 10 rounds in a five inch circle. I'm good. Well, I, you hear yeah. plenty of people. I can hit a pie plate at a hundred yards. That's what I, when I say a minute of a pie plate. Well, and yeah. it goes back to like we were talking about on the <clears throat> vital diagram of the deer. I mean, yeah, I got this one pulled up now, yeah. Where I was saying, you know, three inches forward of where a lot of people tend to like to put the shot placement, they're not hitting vitals. And that scenario is... If you're in a five-inch circle and you're just off of that, you know, three inches forward. Yeah, you're not... Yeah, it's not far from hitting in that area that that I'm explaining. Here's the thing a lot of people don't realize, too. If you're like, heck yeah, dude, I shot a a five-inch group at 100 yards. You know how big, if it remains consistent, at extremely consistent for some reason, at 200 yards, you know how big that group is? 10 inches. 10 inches. Right. You're at a pie plate at 200 yards. No, you're more than a pie plate. You're, you know, 10 inches, 300 yards. It's going to be, should be like 20 inches, 15 to 20 inches. So you're just losing consistency. And, you know, even... Even on that note, we're just speaking about windage in, in general. 
But when you consider your elevation, if you're shooting more higher up towards that shoulder, um, three inches higher, you're above the spine and in the back straps. Right. I mean, most people don't think about or realize how much back strap actually consumes above the lungs in the big of an area as it is. So you can blow right through the back strap and shock the spine, the deer drops, and you think it's done. And then all of a sudden the deer gets up and it eventually <clears throat> gets its mobility back from the shine, uh, spine shock. And then you don't see the deer again. I just like knowing that where I place my crosshairs, they're covering the size of the area that my bullet's going to land in. Right. You know, in perfect conditions, obviously, if the wind's howling, you're shooting 200 yards, it's going to make a difference. But the the better consistency you have, the the less, less room for error. Right. Yeah. Correct. And it's always like you see the see the memes and stuff on Facebook whenever you see the target and, of archery and they're shooting in an area six inches wide at like 30 yards and they're like, yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. I mean, most people, they don't understand that it's, like you said, the consistency, getting the mechanics down to what you're doing with a bow. Um, and even shooting a rifle, you know, you're breathing, all that good stuff. That, right. You know. I was going to say, like like we've talked about a couple of times, you think you stand there in your yard and you put your arrows in uh, like, you know, a two or three inch group. You're like, that's good. Go run a mile, come back and shoot your bow, and that somewhat you, simulates. You know, just stand there and start doing jumping jacks. For, yeah, for or, a few yeah, minutes. or yeah. do get or your heart do a bunch rate of jumping yeah. jacks. Get your heart rate up. Get yourself pumped you know, up. Yeah, to yeah. yeah to the state you're at when you're taking the shot. Yeah, I agree. That's a that's a good good exercise to practice. You're, See, you're not sitting there calm, cool, and collected shooting. Yeah, I can shoot a three inch group. Get your heart rate up. Yeah, get yourself out of whack, and then try and shoot that three inch group. So, so how common do you think it is for, and I've seen this, uh, where, and, and I've helped guys track deer where, well, I know it's dead cause I shoot a 300 ultra mag. So yeah, on that note, um, I had a hunter, it was year before last, um, was pretty displeased with what I had to tell him and based on what the dog was, I mean, he didn't come around and say it, but you know, reaction, you can kind of tell. He just kind of shook his head and he's, there's no way. <clears throat> there's no way that deer probably lived and this and that. And he shot that deer with a 338 at about 100 yards. And he's, that's like, a sniper rifle. It, it's dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, as big as that, as big as that hole is that's left in it, he's going to bleed out. And, and basically it was a reaction like I was talking about. He, it was kind of, if I remember correctly, it was almost a front, a frontal shot on the deer, which in my opinion is a marginal shot. Anyhow, for most people, um, <clears throat> probably should have waited a little while longer and try to get a broadside shot. But basically he said the front legs fell out from under the deer ran probably about 70, 70 yards or so plowing, uh, mud with its chest, got its front legs back underneath him, took off. We found just a few specks of blood at the hit site. No more after that. Never picked it up. The dog uh, lost interest. And real quick for we, whenever I say the dog lost interest, um, and whenever you hear blood tracking with a dog, understand we're most people when it comes to deer and deer species that is training dogs. This is what I do. Um, you can use blood drip lines. Some people do that. Uh, but I actually train off of interdigital scent. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Um, and basically what happens 
and why I say the dog could lose interest or reasons why we think that the dog is telling us maybe the deer's okay and, you know, it's a flesh wound or something of that nature, is whenever a deer is hit, and the easiest way to explain this is if you ever stubbed your toe on the dresser in the middle of the night or you bang your knee on the reshitch of your truck, you it hurts. <clears throat> right. You get a shot of adrenaline, and after a few minutes, you calm down. That adrenaline goes away, different pheromones in your body. <clears throat> now, say if you get shot in the chest or, you know, stab yourself, that adrenaline is not going to go away. <clears throat> it's the same thing with a deer. There's pheromones coming out of that interdigital scent gland once it's been hit or wounded that it starts to put out pheromones through that. That's what we're, that's what I train the dog off of and most other trackers in, in the Florida area does. So again, back to the diagram, if you shoot in that forward shoulder area, don't hit any vitals, the deer's going to freak and go into a panic right right away. It might run 100, 150 yards, settles down, goes, okay, I'm fine. Pheromones goes away and the dog gets to that point and says, nope, can't find no more. And that's whenever we kind of start to make the call of, hey, maybe this deer is going to be fine or anything like that. So, and goes back to, you don't always have to have blood to be able to call a, call a dog out. If you're sure about your shot, you know, someone of your nature, you can't find blood. Um, still, maybe it might be worth calling a dog to come out. And one of the more frustrating things about it is you'll hear someone, <clears throat> I would have called a dog, but we didn't find no blood. Figured it was a miss. Didn't want to bother anybody. Um, most of us trackers, there's times that we're, that we're bored and wishing somebody would call. <laughs> um, right. And the other frustrating part of it is, too, is uh, sometimes you'll hear, well, it was just a doe, so I didn't want to. We don't care if it's a buck, a doe, a spike. Exactly. If it's a legal deer, we're, we're going to track it because the size of the of the antlers isn't what's challenging to us. It's the, you know, whether it's the age of the track, how far the deer may have went. I mean, so what we found a, if we found a 120 inch deer, I mean, yeah, it's great. Good for the hunter. But if it ran a hundred yards, I mean, that's not near as near as exciting to us as a tracking team. If we had to track it a half mile and, you know, through water or dry conditions and different things like that. I mean, so when it comes to the size of the, you know, a big buck or a little buck, just if you give the deer the best opportunity you can to try to recover it, basically, irregardless of the size. So you talk about a tracking team. And uh, so, like, I have, and I, I've, I've done a couple times with my dog, which is, you know, it, we were able to find the deer on without the dog. But I, I like I have a Boykin spaniel, mm-hmm. and I know for a fact that you know like I, we've talked to a, a guy that trains Boykin spaniels for duck hunting, but for a fact she's got long like droopy ears, and part of her and I've told him several times I said I don't know what it is but she's got just a damn good nose on her, and he said part of it is those ears when they're down on the ground those ears help keep that scent up in her nose, so I've used her a couple times to track. But I just don't duck hunt as much as I want to anymore. I don't. I don't want to duck hunt as much anymore. 
and I'd like to get my dog into deer tracking or you got somebody that just got a dog and they wanted to get into tracking deer, what do I need to do to get my dog to start training? Like you, like you said, off the, the glands in the foot. Um, <clears throat> some people recommend that you start with a liver or something like that, doing short drags and you slowly increase the length and slowly increase the wait times before you start that and once you get up to you know three hour old and maybe a 150 yard track then progress what i would do or have done with my dogs in the past is drag a deer leg get them used to following that scent and then you don't want to stop at just dragging a deer leg when you're training um for a lot of different reasons but mainly because you're leaving more than just the interdigital scent and here's the other part about the interdigital scent too to think about a deer that drops dead in its tracks isn't going to put that pheromone off that you're looking for. You want to use, when it comes to the interdigital, you want to use a deer that actually ran and went through that process. So recover deer, save the hooves, use that for your interdigital. But, um, now, can I freeze that hoof and then use it later on or? Yes, that's, that's what, yeah. And a lot of people reuse them even after they, they lay a track, just wrap them back up in the freezer. But, Maybe try to use rubber gloves and stuff to, you know, keep, keep some of your scent. Yeah. But there's only still so much you're going to stop even using that. Um, <clears throat> so once you get to a certain point, you know, kind of repeat that process, as I said, with the liver. And then when you really get to the interdigital training, I use the cheap method to zip tie a leg to a broomstick or something of that nature where the hoof is you're basically able to just walk it and step it like a deer. And you can start mixing in a little bit of blood along the way as things progress. But you're trying, aside from teaching the interdigital, you're also trying to help increase that dog's uh, attention span is the word I'm looking for. Um, so same maybe thing with the distance. Spacing out a little bit. And, Correct. Yeah. And the, the longer the track is, that's going to make it harder on the dog. So you want to increase it slowly. I mean, some dogs work slower than others. Some dogs just pick up on it naturally. And, you know, you kind of goes on the, on the dog. I mean, if they're nailing 150 yard tracks right out the gate with the uh, inner digital, if that's what you start out with, I don't recommend that, but <clears throat> if they're doing it at three hours old, no problem. Then maybe, okay, say I want to go to 200 yards and we're going to move up to five hours. If they're, struggling with that and say okay well now i'll back it down to 175 and we'll wait four hours and see how they handle that um of course you want to when you're laying these tracks l turns is a big thing um a lot of dogs start out they they'll just overshoot a l turn whenever deer makes a hard 90 um and all that kind of little stuff in your training and laying the track is is beneficial to the dog to incorporate that and when it comes to the L turns, start out. I would start out with straight line tracking, and then start putting your L turns in as the dog progresses. Yeah. So and, so even in my straight line tracking, I could start throwing like duke and jives in there. Yeah, I mean veering a little bit here and there, um, but as far as like a hard ninety, and even if the deer doubles back, <clears throat> different things of that nature. You know, you want to add slowly and get the dog to where it's understanding one process at a time. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff to take in to get to track and get a dog to 
up to spec to actually be able to say, hey, yeah, I'll go track your deer. Right. And um, <clears throat> even like uh, someone you know shoots a, shoots a deer, uh, the best thing to do is in short, easy tracks, get them in the woods and get them in the real scenario. Um, and, you know, that's that starts to build their confidence. Yeah, finding a deer hoof at the end of the track or things like that. I mean, and you got to take, take into consideration, okay, this dog's been used to finding nothing but a deer leg at the end of the track. Well, you get it out there in the woods and you're tracking, and all of a sudden it comes across a full-grown dead deer. <laughs> it may, you yeah. know, it, it affects yeah. their psyche, you know, like, well, what is this thing now, you know? Right. So yeah. just different things, and some dogs don't care, and some do. I mean, the people, <clears throat> that's just like the breed of the dog. There's... I mean, people. There's people out there on tracks with beagles. They track with. I've seen a dude labs. on one page that tracks with a dachshund. Yes. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, and dachshunds are actually uh, a pretty good tracking breed, actually. And that's one one of the things too. The smaller the dog, the lower it is, and closer it is to the scent. So. <clears throat> Dachshund barely even has to pick its head up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they got that big droopy ears to keep the scent in around their nose, too. Uh, true. Yeah. Um, well, like bloodhounds, the reason people go after desire a bloodhound is because of the same thing. I mean, aside from the nasal cavity and the and their just known tracking abilities, it's the ears being so big that helps to calm the scent in, keep it close to their nose. Hmm. <clears throat> That's that's the thing we like I said with with my dog is we I've put her on tracks, but they were tracks that we knew we could find on our own, and she likes to do a thing like she doesn't stay straight on her track she'll go left right left right she'll kind of zigzag through it but she she makes it there, but she stays searching the whole time she's starting out I wouldn't worry about that too much um, <clears throat> I mean think of it this way. <clears throat> She may not be locking onto the inner digital, which is where the training would come in, but she's tracking something off of that deer. I mean, yeah. I want to say something about just you walking down the sidewalk. You're shedding uh, skin cells and stuff off of your body that leaves approximately like a five to six foot, five to six foot um, <clears throat> uh, scent path. So yeah. the dog can be bouncing to either side of that scent path. Um, wind can blow scent particles to one side of your trail. It might collect against a tree line or something like that. So the dog could be 15 foot off of the actual track, but it's still tracking the scent yeah. because of the, the wind's pushing it that way. And that's just what's helping collect it. Yeah. So pretty much, I mean, that's all, that's all the natural stuff kind of comes, kind of comes with the territory. They'll start, usually start to get away from that as things, as time goes on and training goes on. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's, a lot of different things to think about. That's even like if a deer dies in a lower area, you'll start to get a little bit of a scent pool in that area because it's just collecting. Exactly. Yeah. And even without that, sometimes I've had my dog go, I can see the deer before he ever sticks his nose up to it. He's just circling because there's so much scent right there. And he's right. focused on that. He's not all of a sudden he sees the deer and runs over and is like, Hey, here it is. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. No pun intended. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've covered a lot of information in the last hour and a half. Yeah. And uh it's a lot to take in and I feel like we 
eventually Holmes, we're gonna need to have you back on. Sounds good to talk again, um, because there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, is there anything you think that we didn't cover? You want to talk about? Oh, there's plenty. <laughs> well, I mean, so from um, from the hunter's perspective, uh, when they're when they're gonna call a, a call somebody with a tracking dog and or or find you know there's so many Facebook resources out there. Um, what what's the group you're in? Uh, Central Florida Deer Recovery. So you can go to there on Facebook, and then you can find your blood tracker or you, somebody to track your dog there. Correct. And I guess you guys have a list by county or by coverage area. Yes, we do. Um, with the phone numbers and the name of the tracker. Um, and pretty much, yeah, it lists what what counties we cover. Each person does. You can contact them. And sometimes, even if you're a little further just outside of those counties, I mean, some of us will still go if you can't find help. Um, one thing that we do try to do is we try to be careful. I mean, obviously, you can directly call a, a tracker yourself but um, and communicate with them that way. But if you just make a post onto the Central Florida Deer Recovery page, um, the admins were pretty good about discussing that and you know, whose dog may be better. My dog may right. be better for this situation and someone else's dog may be better for a different situation. Um, that's things we try to work together on. Um, <clears throat> if you're not sure, don't already have anybody that you've used in the past. Um, <clears throat> and the other part about it is, is we've been adding new trackers slowly. Um, it's not exactly a formal process. If anyone out there is interested in it, definitely look us up. Um, and we'll contact, uh, myself and I can get you to some of the other admins that kind of handle doing the new tracker. Um, basically just kind of, uh, wanting feedback from the track that you went on, things like that. Um, and the other guys, they, they, they handle that and they, they know more about that than I do, but we, we are looking to try to help add teams because, there's weekends and stuff here around, just right here around Lake County. We can't keep up. Right. And then there's all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, it just goes dead. Um, you no no calls for weeks. Sometimes it seems like, and then out of the blue phones ringing off the hook for everybody. And we don't have enough teams to go around. So you, you say that you have these admins and you know, they try to Skype when it comes to, if I'm a new tracker and I want to, you know, we've kind of talked about training our dog, but if I don't know exactly what I'm doing, do you guys ever do any, you know, hey, get with this tracker and he's going to help you out? Or do you have like training weekends where like maybe the trackers get together? And We've been in discussion. I know it's come up of doing this training weekends and stuff, stuff like that. Um, but the thing is, is typically there's someone always available that they can call to ask questions or you know, advice or something of that nature. If they are on a track, um, there's, I believe there's, we got 10 admins. So someone's pretty much always available, you, you know, to be able to contact, um, in that sort of scenario. And yeah, sometimes there's, there's times, okay, there may be someone that's a new tracker right down the street or coming to a track right down the street from one of us. And we may go along and bring our experienced dogs along as backup, different things like that. Um, and, kind of monitor and watch what the what the new teams are doing and you know be able to provide feedback and things of that nature 
that's not bad. So in tracking, say I call you and I've got this deer, but you know, obviously you have gas, you got time in your dog, you got all kinds of stuff. What do I need to take into calculation to, uh, cause I know a lot of you guys, like <clears throat> you don't specifically say, Hey, I'm going to charge this much. Or does anybody charge anything? But it's kind of a known fact that you at least tip your tracker. Yeah, and, you know, one of the big things about it is, is especially with us at Central Florida Deer Recovery and most other tracking pages around the state of Florida, um, we don't set a price and we generalize a rule of, you know, no direct, not setting direct amounts. And the reason why we do that is we don't want anyone to feel like they can't afford to find their deer. Right. Um, and quite honestly, any tip money and stuff like that, I know for myself, it goes either towards dog feed, you know, vet bills, gas, and, you know, even repair bills on your vehicle, different things of that nature. I mean, people. It, number one thing is if you, you want to get into tracking to make money, you pick the wrong business. <laughs> you're right. You, you, only yeah. dogs, you're never going to make that money back from tracking. I yeah. can promise you that. Um so- so it really kind of comes down to what you can afford, right? So if you're just an old poor old boy, can't find your deer, right. and you can afford to give your tracker twenty bucks, right? In twenty, <clears throat> not well, I mean, well, hell, I, what about a fresh backstrap? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you know, right? <laughs> we, we we have hunters that I know I've had hunters that's given me meat before just because they feel like they owe you something, and right? You know, uh, I've drove. 10 minutes down the street for a $200 tip and didn't recover the deer. And I've drove 60 miles, recovered the deer and nothing but a handshake. And I'm okay with that. Right. I mean, if I tell you I'm coming, I'm going there without the expectation of getting anything out of the deal. Right. I was going to say, and I feel like it comes back to even a guy that uses his dog to duck hunt. You do what you do to watch your dog work. Exactly. It's, it is that that's the biggest thing. And one of the big thing with, uh, Central Florida Deer Recovery, one of the terms or phrases we keep saying is, uh, you know, it's just hunters helping hunters. Um, yeah. Because we've all been there. I mean, hell, you might not even know, might even might not even know the old boy that sees you struggling dragging your deer out. And next thing you know, they've run over and see you dragging the deer, help you drag it out. It's the same, same concept. Of, next thing you know, <laughs> two years down the road, you're good buddies. Listen, exactly. let me tell you, exactly. you say that, I, I, we drug a deer, uh, Two and a half miles. We get out to the truck. Finally get it gutted. Old boy drives past with his truck, trailer, four-wheeler. He's like, damn, that's a nice buck. Said, should have called me. I was right down the road, had a four-wheeler. I was like, I don't even know who the heck you are, but man, I wish I had your number because I did not want to drag this deer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a couple years ago, um, his opening day of bow season, had some college kids that... uh very, very respectful kids. Uh, I say kids, they were probably like 21, something like that. They're kids. Yeah. Um, and they call me and they're like, look, I know I hit this deer. I can't find no blood. And this is archery season. Right. And uh, they're like, can you come out with a dog? And I'm like, yeah. And they ended up finding, they looked around a little bit after they got off the phone right there. They found blood. And when I get there, they said, uh, just so you know, it's two and a half miles in to <laughs> where this deer was shot. Well, it was down a closed road. Luckily, there was a SUV pass holder coming out the gate. Walked over and asked if he didn't mind giving us a ride back there real quick. So we saved two and a half miles there. And 
the deer went approximately a half mile in the opposite direction. Oh. And uh, by the time we recovered the deer, drug it back to just the closed road, which he gave us a tip and said, he said, the main highway is only a mile and a half if you go down this road. Right. We're all out of water. Um, And at that point, I'm starting to get a little little heat exhaustion going on, getting a little lightheaded. I told him, I said, guys, I said, listen, I said, just start walking that way with the deer on the game cart. I said, if I'm not 30 minutes behind you, I said, just call a hel- helicopter to come get me. I said, Cause I, I I'm not going to be there. <laughs> and uh, I said, but go to the main road. I said, hopefully there's still a hunter or two up there that just got out of the woods and maybe they can give us a ride back to save us that other mile to the, to our vehicles and, Actually, there was a hunter standing up there. I'm kind of acquainted with him. And uh, once I cooled down and everything, and me and the dog walked out, he uh, gave them a ride up there with the deer to, to get their truck, and then we was able to catch a ride back. But, I mean, I wasn't expecting all of that right out the gate. Um, <laughs> when, when I had to drag that deer, three of us drug that deer, it, it was about two and a half miles that we drug it. Uh, it was easily a three mile drag. When we hit the closed gravel road, I quote unquote rolled my ankle really bad <laughs> and uh, had to have my buddy go get my truck and come pick me up. Like, I was like, I was like, dude, I don't care. I was like, I'll, I'll take the ticket. I am not, not dragging this deer yeah, an inch exactly. further. Uh, and, uh, and it was like a, a full on gravel road. We just weren't technically allowed to drive down it. Right. Right. And, uh, um, the, the other thing too, during bow season, especially around here and up even up through October and November, just if you are a company or calling a tracking team out, hydrate up, make sure you got plenty of water on hand because um, it gets hot. Yeah, don't know how what distance we're going to cover or anything of that nature. Um, and we there's trackers that suffer from heat exhaustion and everything every year and lack of water, just the heat. It's hot out there, right? And, well, you guys got any closing thoughts? I don't, man. No, I don't know that I do. I was, eh, maybe just try to acquaint yourself first, man. Before you go calling a dog, try to make sure, double think over your shot. I mean, just double think over everything before you go calling a dog and making your, your you know, possible tracking guy drive an hour. Listen, we talked about this. Just be honest. Yeah. And, you know, what you just said is uh, that's one way of looking at it, but I can tell you most trackers, we'd rather it be the other way around for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Because Well, when I say that, I'm not saying wander through the woods. I'm saying right. at least take your time. Give the deer some time. Take yeah, your do, own time. Double, yeah. double check over every single part of that scenario. And once again, treat it like a crime scene. Um try to disturb as little as possible. Like I was saying earlier, if you got the arrow, don't go. I mean, I tracked a deer a couple of years ago for a guy that's a pretty successful hunter around here. And I've tracked for him before uh, one other time. And I know him fairly decent and he's experienced, you know, he, he shot a deer and said, Hey, I, I messed up. I, I'm going to need a dog. And he didn't even think about it. He went home and he just washed the arrow off. And, uh-huh. He's like, you know, I didn't even think about it whenever I did it. <laughs> um, so people, the best of us can make mistakes when it comes right. to that, you know. So move slow, you know, give you some time. I tell people all the time, if you need to, go down to the corner store, buy a 12-pack. 
just, hang out. You just know? sit down, yeah. drink a couple. Yeah, just relax, calm yeah, the nerves. Exactly. Um, whatever you need to do. I mean, in that situation, the best thing is don't stand there. And if you if you've reached a point where you call the dog, don't stand there. Don't keep thinking about it. Don't let anyone else weigh your decision. Because one of the biggest things that's more frustrating for a tracking team is, okay, you want us to come out. We get the dog ready or whatever and might be halfway there, almost get there. And they say, oh, no, never mind. We don't need you. We found the deer. Mm. Um, You know, great that they found the deer. But, again, it goes back to not having the respect for what's being asked. Right. And you're taking up somebody's time. And, you know, like I said, we don't care. But that's the kind of frustrating moments that, you know, kind of makes you get a little bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, um, th- though the guy might enjoy it, you got to think that there is a very good possibility that you are taking that guy's time away from his family. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, if if you're gonna make the phone call to get a dog, just sit down. Y- yes. Yeah. I can tell you too. It's always worked out for me. Like he said, go buy a twelve pack. It's always worked out for me that in the most stressful situations, whether it be a boat a boat breaking down or something, something bad happens, and you're like. I don't have any beer. <laughs> right? So if that's a bad situation for you and you don't have any go you don't have any beer, at least go buy uh four pack of tall boys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um I mean, even just get in the truck and go ride around, go some get a you know, don't keep sitting there and thinking about it because I know I know I've had to do it personally whenever there's a shot that I'm not sure about, you know, needed Needed to give the deer more time, I thought. I'm not sitting there in the woods thinking about it. Getting tr- go to a buddy's house nearby or where you need to go and try to decompress a little bit um, no, in that scenario. You know, another thing you could do in that time frame is uh, maybe go set up a target and shoot your weapon of choice and make sure that it is hitting where you thought it was. Hey, you're stressed out in that point, too. So. Well, I understand that. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of people that, uh, well, I sighted this gun in three years ago. Yeah. And then yeah, I dropped it dropped here it, and yeah. threw it around the back of the truck and everything else. Next thing you know, it's 12 inches high and you're tracking a deer. Right. You never trying to track a deer. And, you never hit in the first place. And I've had, I've had people that, uh, didn't recover the deer for, you know, situations like that. And they're like, well, I don't know how I could have missed and because of things like you said. Right. And then they'll finally pull the gun out and be like, well, yeah, it's eight inches off or shooting 10 inches to the left. I I was going to say, you know, that's one thing that bow hunters are really good about. Well, most bow hunters, um, is they get their bow out several months before season starts shooting it. You should, even if you're a rifle hunter, get your gun out before season and check your zero rifle, muzzle loader, crossbow, uh, your regular compound bow, make sure your weapon is zeroed. Before season starts. I can tell you, so I, I missed an 11.3 times with my bow in the same hunt. That deer, that buck gave me three opportunities within a, within a span of 20 minutes to shoot him at three different ranges. And I missed every single time, high or low. <laughs> but you were zeroed. First thing I did when I got back, I, I got out of the tree stand, went back. And first thing I did was shot my bow back at the barn. And it was dead on. I was like, okay, you know, you're just an idiot. Cool. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we, we talked a lot about bow hunting and rifle and modern gun, but a lot of times we get a lot of calls from muzzleloader. Um, <clears throat> number one, then they don't bleed very good. So they lose the blood or 
Another big thing that happens is because of the smoke and the wind and everything, they don't see where the deer run. They don't know where the path went. Um, I had a gentleman one time tell me, oh, the deer went this way is what I heard and started the dog. The dog wanted to go a different direction. Well, just to appease him, we went the way he said for a little bit. And I'm like, I don't think the deer went this way. She, you know, not acting right and went back, reset. She immediately wanted to go the initial direction that she started. Nose down the entire time. I told him, I said, I'll put any amount of money that the deer went this way. We'll find blood or something. And approximately 175 yards later, no, not a drop of blood. There was his buck underneath a big oak tree and in the middle of a field. Um, so just because you think the deer may have went that way, um, maybe you should trust the dog yeah. at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, you know what? And it happens all the time. Before we, we close this out, uh, we talked about consistency earlier. Excuse me. Hot tip for guys, muzzleloader hunting. Pirate X pellets are great. They're super easy to reload. They're extremely inconsistent. Hot garbage Correct. when it comes to consistency. Hot garbage. Two. So one, shoot loose powder. You'll you'll be you're sitting here going, that muzzleloader's good for three inches. You shoot loose powder, you're like, holy cow, it stacks them one inside the other. Uh shoot loose powder and shoot good primers. And when it comes to loose powder, you think that you slow down, buy you a good speed loader. No, I've got a Thompson Center speed loader that holds loose powder. You just put it on there, and turn it over, it starts the bullet, everything. Yep. Super right. easy. But I, I took a muzzler, literally the muzzler I shoot right now, shot, sighted it in initially the first time I ever bought it with Pyrex pellets, shooting a two-inch group. Okay. Switched over to loose powder, and I would need a micrometer to measure it because technically when you measure a group size, you're supposed to subtract the size of the bullet from it. And I was at a half-inch group. At 100 yards. Yeah. With loose powder. Shooting a half-inch size bullet. And how far did your buck go last year? 40 maybe yards. Maybe 40 yards. I would say maybe yeah. 50 yards would be stretching it. So maybe 40 yards. Yeah. Right where I wanted that bullet to go. We followed blood the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, you know what? I appreciate you joining us, man. And yes, uh, we got to get you back on, but uh, we'll catch yeah. you guys next week. Yep. Adios. <laughs>